when you're in a community and it's a community-based restaurant, those interactions with the locals, those guys are going to visit you every day, you know, sometimes multiple times a day. You know, it's a really special connection that you get to, you get to gain with these people. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Growing up as a hotelier's son, Sam Bird understood that the focal point was always the restaurant and more specifically the kitchen. It gave him a strong grounding in the art of hospitality from a young age and a natural knack of knowing what people want when they dine out. And he's become a leading light in the culinary offering in Cairns, Queensland. Sam Bird is the owner of Noah, Gorilla and Palooka in Cairns. Sam, how are you? Good, good. Thank you. It's good to get you on the show. You're um, really sort of setting the standard up there in far north Queensland in, in Cairns. Uh, what's things like up there at the moment? Yeah, oh, look, things things up here at the moment are, uh, you know, technically speaking, it's the start of our season up here. So the weather's kind of cooled down a little bit um, and the tourists are starting to flow back into the city after, you know, a relatively quiet kind of start to the year. Um, so, you know, there's the buzz is kind of starting to generate a little bit around around the city and um um yeah it's, it's getting busier which which is fantastic um cooled down in Cairns sort of almost sounds comical compared to somewhere like Canberra where I am um what's 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 the temperatures like and does, does you know does it affect sort of what you do the sort of warmer climes that you're in yeah look in terms of the actual you know the climate it's more you know, in terms of the degrees, it doesn't change too much from, from summer to winter, if you could even call it summer to winter. But basically, we have two seasons. So it's the wet season and the dry season. So through the wet season, it rains nearly every other day. Um, it's hot. It's humid. Um, it's not, not necessarily, you know, a pleasant place to be, especially for tourists. Um, but, you know, come, come kind of April, May, June, July, we come into this beautiful time of the year where it kind of cools to about, you know, 25, 26 degrees during the day. And it's... It doesn't rain. It's beautiful and sunny. Um, and yeah, it's just a beautiful place to be. It sounds like the place to be during winter. Um, we've, we've spoken to a few um, industry professionals from North Queensland, further north than you, but I, I don't think we've spoken to anyone in Cairns. Give us, give us a sense of Cairns and its dining landscape. Yeah, so Cairns is, it's a, it's a funny place in terms of, I guess, you know, it runs from, from an area called Palm Cove all the way up up to Cairns, so all, all along there is kind of the northern beaches, so, um, and, and even even further so to Port Douglas. So if you if you think if you think of it as you know Port Douglas is it about a I don't know just over an hour, maybe an hour and a half from the Cairns city centre. Um, so I guess you know when you talk about a dining landscape, it kind of starts you know in Cairns, but it runs all the way up to to Port Douglas, where there's a there's a number of of you know decent um, restaurants that. That are kind of up that way as well. Um, I don't know. Probably you've heard of Oaks Kitchen and Garden, um, and the guys that you know what, what they're doing up there, and they've got a great little Thai restaurant in Port Douglas at the moment as well. But I guess you know they they set the they set set the benchmark up that way. And then if you flow back, you know towards Cairns, you've obviously got Nico at Nunu who's doing his thing, and then and then you kind of venture back into the city. Well, tell us a little bit about what you're doing. You've got three uh, very different venues. Tell us a bit about them. Yeah, so I guess Noah's kind of the, I guess you could say the flagship restaurant. So it's a restaurant I guess I've had for a number of years. It's almost been, well, I think it's a decade this year. So it's, um, that, that, you know, that restaurant's been a bit of a journey. 
Um, and before that, it started just down the road at, at a little cafe um, called Osmosis. So that was the first um, kind of food food restaurant venture that I started with my father, I think 12, 12 years ago. So um, I guess dad kind of just, you know, we're both kind of in not really knowing what we wanted to do. We just um, finished up with the jobs that, that we had. Um, I was still quite young. I think I was 23 when I opened Osmosis. Um, and dad was coming towards, you know, the twilight years of his hotelier career and, and kind of didn't want to, he didn't want to move anymore. So I think, you know, as a hotelier, he kind of, you know, every two to three years you, you pack up and you move to a different city because um, that, that's just the world of hoteliers. So I guess he came to a point in his career where he didn't want to do that anymore and, and I was kind of, you know, not in a bit of a rut but kind of deciding, well, do, do I want to keep going down the path of hotels or do I want to, you know, do something a little bit different? So we, you know, we just walked walk past an old bike shop um, and we thought, shit, that would be, that would make a great little cafe. Why don't, why don't we do that? And then, you know, two, two months later, we, we, we kind of threw the doors open of, of Osmosis. So um, that's kind of where it all started. And then, you know, gradually over time, we, we evolved and, you know, we sold Osmosis really quickly because it just went absolutely bananas and we ran out of space or ran out of you know, what, what we really wanted to do. So we went and leased a shop. Went, well, we went and leased um, a much bigger space on the next corner and, and kind of built Noah. Um, and that was 10 years ago. Well, tell us about the differences between the three venues that you have. You got Noah, Gorilla and Palooka. What, what are their sort of individual offerings? Yeah, so Noah, I guess Noah's really just, it's my creative outlet. Um, you know, I wouldn't really stamped cuisine as such on on the restaurant it's always been you know we've always just called it it's it's an extension of somebody's or of the neighborhood you know their, their living room basically so you know our vision was always it to be such an approachable place where people could come you know whether it's breakfast lunch dinner afternoon um any time of the day and and get that get that experience that kind of um where they feel comfortable um any 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 time of the day, basically, um, and the cuisine has has evolved and and gone in different directions throughout the years, depending on on the chef that that you know I've teamed up with or or that sort of stuff. Because I'm also, you know, I'm big on on letting them have their creative outlet on what they want to do as well. And I guess Noah's been a perfect platform to allow chefs to do that because it's so much more than the food. It's 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 what we offer in terms of the atmosphere. Um, you know, it's got this beautiful veranda at the front that just um, picks up the breeze so beautifully and it's got big open windows. It's very much a North Queensland style um, restaurant um, because, yeah, it's just all open. Uh, and then we've got Gorilla, which we opened. We actually opened Gorilla, I think, in 2021. So it was just when COVID was still you know, still there and still present. I mean, we, we didn't feel the repercussions of COVID nearly as much as I think people down south did. Um, I think Cairns was pretty protected in that area. Obviously, we had a bit of a shutdown period. Um, but in saying that, we pivoted towards our takeaway. And, you know, we had another restaurant that we sold um, a couple of years ago called Hopscotch, which is a big Italian restaurant on the south side of Cairns. So um, thankfully, that, that product really lent itself to, to the takeaway market. And in some, in some aspects, we're probably you know, just as busy 
through COVID, even though our restaurant was closed, if you kind of peer through the window on a Friday night, you'd have six or seven chefs just pumping out pizzas and pastas and, you know, we'd have 15 delivery drivers just running around cans delivering food. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty insane experience, really. I want to sort of explore what you're what you're doing there in in Cairns a little bit further, but um, you know you grew up as a hotelier's son. Take us back to when you were young. What, what sort of role did food play in your family growing up? Yeah, it was it, look, it was it was interesting because I guess I had you know two different worlds because my parents um, split up when I was quite young, so I would have been maybe four or five, um, and then at, at that point we're actually in Darwin in the Northern Territory. So dad was running a hotel up there. Um, it was the atrium, the Nobita atrium. So it was, um, when they split up, I guess, you know, my my mum, you know, I have th- we just came from a big family. So there was a number of us. It was my three brothers and then mum mom went and remarried and, and two families kind of came together and connected and ended up being, you know, six of us. Um, and then my dad, yeah, then my dad remarried and had a few, a few kids as well. So it was just a huge family. And I guess, you know, living, living in a house in Darwin, um, you know, having my mum work full time and my stepdad work full time, it really just fell on us kids to prepare dinner. So we'd all be given a day and we just kind of rotated through. And, um, you know, we would have been only, what, no, I don't know, 9, 10, 11. Um, but we had to prepare dinner for for the family, because mum didn't finish work till five thirty, and you know she had six kids, and you know she she wasn't she wasn't big on cooking anyway, so it was um so you know it was like well, which was which was great from 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 our point of view we learned we learned you know to to understand food and touch food from a very young age, and then you know although it wasn't inspiring food, you know spaghetti bolognese and and chicken parmigiana or lasagna or just basic recipes that that nine ten or eleven year old kids could could prepare but um it gave us that that first insight into into what food you know was like and what it was like to um to be in a kitchen and 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 handle those ingredients darwin is heavily influenced by southeast asian ingredients and cooking is is that an experience you had as a kid as well yeah definitely i think any kid that grew up in in the 90s and darwin had that experience you know with with the prat markets and the mindle beach markets um, and the Rapid Creek markets, and it's it's heavily heavily influenced by by Southeast Asia. So, um, but 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 in saying that, you know that 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 that's going to those markets, and and you know especially on a Saturday morning after soccer practice, you know my memories of going to Mary's Laxa House and get, getting a laxa and all those sorts of things. I think I think anybody that grew up in Darwin had those had those experiences and those kind of vivid, you know, food food moments. Um, so yeah, absolutely. That that's and I guess still to this day, that's where I kind of take my food journey. Like if I had to to say what what's my favorite cuisine to kind of be around or or, or serve would would have to be that that that's what excites me the most. I think that comes from my early memories of of growing up in Darwin. What sort of lured you to a career in hospitality, and when when did you start to sort of think of it as a, a career? Yeah, I think. Look, like I said, my, having you know, dad as a hotelier and and just being in hotels because you know when, when I wasn't with with mum, I would go see dad on school holidays. Um, you know, he'd always be living in the hotel, um, so it would kind of become our playground. The hotel, you know, me, me, and my me, and my two brothers would 
would run amok and we'll be, you know, whether it's in the, in the laundry downstairs or in the kitchens or in, you know, and, and then we just kind of grew into, well, we're here, we might as well just work. So the restaurants kind of became, you know, no one wants to work in the laundry and housekeeping. So, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> my brothers and I were, were, were straight into the restaurant and, you know, whether it was polishing cutlery or, or polishing glasses or doing all those basic jobs um, initially and then just evolving you know, every, every school holidays or when we, when we were finally old enough to actually go out and get a job, we already had, you know, all those skills because we'd already been doing it for a number of years. Where were your sort of first steps, you know, outside of sort of your experiences with your dad sort of into the industry? Yeah, I think into, I mean, early on, dad, dad was up in Palm Cove, I guess, kind of towards the back end of my schooling. So, um, living in Palm Cove, there's a number of restaurants and hotels, and um, it's really just a it's a it's a playground for for restaurants, especially back then. There was a, you know that's when Nico first opened up. You know, Nunu's. I would have been, I think I was in grade eleven, so I remember it so well. And I was actually, you know, I was working at the restaurant right next door um, to where Nunu's was. And the way that it was, it was basically it was it was it used to be called the Outrigger Hotel. So there was four four sites out the front of the Outrigger Hotel kind of lined up one next to each other um, and Nico had the restaurant in the middle and I was working on the restaurant on the side so you know although you know that, that, that was my first proper I guess introduction to that level of of restaurant or that level of cooking or, or you know that aspiring to be oh wow well that's that's something different that I haven't seen before was when Nico you know opened Nunu's and made those waves up here in far north Queensland you know all all those years ago, because you'd always look across to, to to the restaurant next door, going, "That's pretty cool." You spent some time in Switzerland as well. How different was that to the sort of world that you sort of grew up in? Yeah, look, it was it was completely different. I think, you know, straight after high school, um, you know, it was although I wanted to be in hospitality, it was really just trying to figure out what direction that could take and I think you know obviously with with my dad's career he'd seen it go in so many different ways for people um, in hospitality um, and he really wanted me or, or give me the best possible opportunity to to see something kind of outside of Australia so um, you know when I finished grade 12 I was I was you know lucky enough to be given the opportunity to go to a hospitality school in Switzerland um, which totally opened my mind. It was, you know, it's a totally different game over there, I guess. It's, it's something that they take extremely seriously and, and you know, hotels and, and, and restaurants and hospitality in general is, is seen as, as very much as a, as a flourishing career in Europe. So, um, you know, going over there and, 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 and doing that just, just totally, well, that was the start of, start of it all for me was really um, going to that school and, and understanding you know, that world and then being able to travel because the way that the work, the, the school worked is that you would do six months in the school and then six months you would travel to somewhere around the globe and do an internship, um, you know, which was, which was incredible. I was able to go to, you know, St. Thomas in the Caribbean and work at the Ritz-Carlton for, for six months. Yeah, I went to, went to um, China and did the, the same sort of thing, working at the Four Seasons and um, and then went off to Spain and in Mallorca and worked at, um, you know, a boutique hotel um, up in the mountains in Mallorca. So, you know, my experiences were, 
were were vast, and it, it, although the language was was at times extremely difficult, I think again one one, one thing that we you know we always had in common was was the understanding around the food and and the culture because I think you know although you can't communicate verbally, I think you know well, well I know that even, even as a chef or or restaurateur that there's a certain you know vocabulary that you just understand one another when it comes to when it comes to food and that's kind of where I was able to to you know um, to get through working in those countries that that obviously English isn't isn't um, the mother tongue. Well, have, being afforded these sort of amazing opportunities to immerse yourself in all the different cultures across the world, is there any sort of one sort of experience that you had that you can tell us about that sort of had an impact on you with all of these sort of um, six months sort of um, immersions that you experienced? Yeah, I think, you know, having the immersion in Europe where the, the, the hospitality culture is quite um, precise and very... Um, you know, straight down the line in the way that they approach the service aspect of the restaurants or the hotels or the, um, you know, and then and then on the flip side, then going to somewhere like, you know, the Caribbean and working in St. Thomas where it's an American, um, it's an American island um, and understanding that American side of service and, and the way that they, they carry, because obviously tips are, is what they live and die by. So, you know, the service is so much more personalized where it's not so, you may not, you know, still refined, but but really trying to get to know those customers, those guests on that super personal level so you can connect in some sort of way in hope that you can, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, get, 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 a, get, get a greater tip because that's obviously, you know, the, the ultimate goal for from that American point of view. And I think, you know, it's, it's really fascinating where, where in Europe it's, it's so much less personal but it's so precise and their knowledge around a product or their knowledge around the wine or or, or whatever they're serving is 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 amazing but um you know at the end of the day that 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 personal connection is is everything tell us about coming back to australia um where did you sort of find your feet once you had all this sort of global experience yeah look i went to I went to Atlanta. So when I finished uh, school in Switzerland, I had this idea that I wanted to go back to to America. Um, my dad's American, so I guess I just and he's from the South as well. So there's this desire to kind of understand, um, you know, more about you know w- what happens over there. And I think you know at the time I probably even had a desire to really possibly live there and and, and embrace that that American life um american dream as they say um so i went and worked at um at a hotel there in atlanta in buckhead which is kind of the the affluent area of atlanta but i guess i made the mistake where i was like i'll try something different and i went and did um kind of front office um and i hated it i think i lasted you know two months and i I just i couldn't think of anything worse i thought (laughs) so you know i made i made a few phone calls and i was like well if i'm going to go back to australia i'm going to go and you know obviously back to what i love which is food and beverage and 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 do something and do something that's really going to you know not just you know help me evolve my career but something that's going to really challenge me um and i got in touch with with edna cunningham who was running um 
or Gordon Ramsay just opened up his restaurants in Melbourne, Mays and Mays Grill. Um, and Edna was the general manager there at the time. So I just jumped on a plane and flew straight into Melbourne and, and um, yeah, that, 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 that's where, that, that's when I came back to Australia and, and I was the, became the, the bar and beverage um, manager at, at Mays, which again was, was fantastic. It was kind of a leap, a leap back into the Australian hospitality world. And, um, you know, although the restaurant, unfortunately, for whatever reason, didn't, didn't last for as long as everybody would have hoped, um, you know, it was a very intense, you know, seven or eight months that I was there. Um, but, it, but, but just working, the pe- it's just a different world when you work with people that are just, you know, they generally just want to, to succeed and they generally love what they do and they want to, to move in a direction and they all want to move in the same direction. I think that came from, from Josh, who was the, the, the exec chef at the time, Josh Emmett. Um, and he just had this persona about him when he worked, walked into the room um, you couldn't help but just, you know, almost stand at attention because he just, he's, he, he just knows how to demand, um, demand that attention. Um, and I, you know, from a leader's point of view, I think that was, you know, his, that, that ability or seeing him being able to do that was, was key to kind of me taking on, um, you know, in my early, in my early kind of years in opening restaurants was, was learning that skill where, you know, you, you gain that, that instant respect by work, walking into the room. It's almost, at times it's even, you know, that, that faking it to you make it kind of scenario where you just, you demand so much respect and attention and uh, by, by just your persona and your energy and the way that you carry yourself, um, that you can get away with, with, you know, little things that you may, you may still not know or, or, or truly understand. When you moved back to Cairns, did you know how, how did it feel? Did Cairns and the opportunities there feel different after this global experience that you'd had? Yeah, absolutely. I think moving back to Cairns, you know, when one maze closed, and you know, when you feel you know somewhat defeated, you you kind of revert back to what to what you know. And, and going back home was was it you know the natural instinct in in just kind to go back to a place and try to reestablish myself. And you know, decide what my next move would be. So, um, yeah, no, coming back to Cairns was a bit like that. Um, and it took me, you know, once coming back to Cairns, it took me a couple of years um, to just really, you know, find what what I was looking for, and that and that was going out and doing doing something for myself. I guess I'd always struggled through the years working for other people. I really, really struggled with it. Um, to the point where I probably was, you know, especially early on as, as a teenager or, you know, my early adulthood where I was even, you know, let go um, from a few jobs because not sure what it was, whether it was, you know, I'd start really, really high and I'd go all, all guns blazing and then, and then kind of just get dissatisfied in, in whatever was happening or it wasn't, it wasn't happening fast enough for me or not happening in the way that I would have liked it. Um, so, you know, I guess finding my, finding my feet and, and taking that opportunity, you know, with osmosis, um, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. 
There's a, there's a sort of a cliche about the industry that there are a bunch of sort of misfits and outcasts who sort of find a creative outlet to shine. You mentioned how important Noah was for your own creative outlet. T- tell us about how important that is for you, that the restaurants as a creative outlet. Oh, look, the restaurants are, you know, anybody that, that has kind of worked in a restaurant for, for any kind of period of time understands that restaurants are very interesting places and there's certain things that go on in restaurants probably you wouldn't get away with in in any other industry in terms of you know culturally i think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in in restaurants um but you're right it's just you have to understand it's it's a lot of misfits it's a lot of misfits kind of put together um and different personalities and different um and everyone's got their because it's such a creative industry, um, not just, you know, in the kitchen, but also what we do at the front, you know, in the way that we want to present something or the way that we want to service our guests or the way that we, we want the venue to look or feel or smell. You know, everyone's got very different ideas on, on what that looks like. Um, and I think, you know, Dad and I going, going into business initially at Osmosis and the start of NOAA, you know, we clash hugely over, over probably the most silly minor things but um you know that, that that's his, he's a super creative he's an artist um you know he he grew up building you know he used to love to build doll dolls houses as as a, as a young adult i remember as a kid you know i was six or seven i was thinking you know why is my dad building these dolls houses but he just the ink, ink you know the increases of 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 building these things and the little the little pieces of the furniture and the bed and the and those sorts of things. It's it's those attention to detail, I guess, that makes a restaurateur so successful is just really understanding those attention to detail and and following through on that day to day. You mentioned um, sort of the challenges of working for other people and then finding your feet with your own businesses and being able to be creative. What, what's some of the challenges that you've personally faced through the years in building your own businesses and, and getting that life balance as well? Yeah, I think, you know, the challenges of, of probably running any business, especially a small business in a regional town, um, there's a lot of issues or a lot of um, difficulties, I guess, that, that, that comes with that, but especially um, restaurants. I mean, restaurants, again, you know, they're not, they're not easy things to run or, or to have. And, you know, we, we run on, you know, really slim profit margins. And I think that's something that a lot of people just, they don't realize exactly, you know, the sort of profit margins that restaurants run on. Um, and and it, it can go either way very, 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 very quickly. So, I mean, earlier on, you know, when we didn't have, you know, I think we went to the bank and got, you know, a loan for $10,000 and that was kind of the start. And um, so not having the financial, you know, backing um, to, you know, we we had to have, we had to keep things super tight, you know, from the beginning. We didn't have, we couldn't allow things to, you know, too much fat. so, you know, you, you work day and night, you know, I'd get up at, you know, four o'clock in the morning and I'd, I'd roll back into bed at, at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, you know, in, in the early days um, until and you just, you just, you just hit, the, hit the ground and you just, you just had to grind day in, day out, day in, day out and not really even having a plan on, on when any of that was going to stop or if it was going to ever stop, but you just, I guess you just trusted the process and probably in a way you probably didn't even really know if you wanted it to stop it just became the norm 
um, in a funnily enough way. You just, and then eventually, you know, the, the longer you grind, um, the result the result comes. And you know, thankfully, you know, Noah, you know, it's really been built into to a bit of an institution in this town. And, and you know, I surrounded myself with people that I really trusted, and you know, trusted the process and trusted you know my vision for for where I wanted to take it. And and um, yeah, that that, that kind of came to fruition. You're very open about um, having high-functioning autism. T- tell us a little bit about that because there's so many misconceptions about, you know, what autism actually is. Um, tell us a bit about how it is for you and the sort of positives and negatives that it has as plays for you um, on your journey. Yeah, well, I think, I think growing up, you know, I, I had behavioural issues and, and that... You know, unfortunately, back in the 90s, they didn't fully understand autism and the doctors didn't really understand what that was. So, you know, I was, I was misdiagnosed, you know, a million times. I was dragged in and out of, you know, um, counsellors' offices and doctors' offices. You know, my mum really wanted to try to find out what was wrong with me. But, um, but you know, the more she looked, the less she found, so to speak, because it wasn't until, I think, you know, when I was, because I've only just been diagnosed in the last, you know, 12 months. So I think, you know, the more research I did, I realized that, you know, they didn't really fully understand high functioning autism until, you know, I would have been 22, 23. So it was probably, you know, unfortunately for, for my mum and for all the people around me as, you know, through my childhood, including my brothers and sisters, they, they, they really suffered in, in in what you know what I was and and the things that I'll get up to, but um, but you know moving moving into my adulthood and and kind of my career as as a restaurateur and owning my own restaurants, I think, you know, high functioning autism, you know, it, it, people describe it as as you've got a Ferrari as a brain, but unfortunately the brakes don't work, so your brain you know <laughs> your brain goes at a million miles an hour, but. Um, you don't know how to stop it, which is which is a scary thing. So that can result in 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 a multitude of different things happening. And but what, you know, in terms of the positives, when it comes to that, is is people with high function autism are actually really, really, really good at operating their own businesses because they're relentless. I guess in their pursuit of what they're trying to achieve, that they, they, they become you know it becomes their special interest, and and they go you know 100 percent in and. And there's no, you know, hopping out until, until they've reached that goal. And, but, but with the negatives with that is, you know, you're not going to hop out until you've reached your goal. So at, at, what, at what cost? Um, and, and, and the cost of that are, of, you know, you know, your friendship groups, your family, or your, um, you know, anything else that, that normal people do day to day, you know, whether, you know, whether they've got other interests, you know, they go out fishing with their mates on the weekend or they go... They go to birthday parties or, or or family gatherings or or weddings or you know that doesn't in our brains that that stuff is is irrelevant at the time. Um, the only thing that matters is is what's 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 right in front of us. Um, so I guess you know succeeding in business and being able to open you know six restaurants in in the last you know ten years and and all of them ex- you know succeeding in, in in fantastic ways is is down to my ability just to um to concentrate and, and and grind day to day day to day day to day and and until I get the result do you think that um 
you know, there's some the industry sort of suits someone of your nature with the a brain that ticks over like that. It allows you to um, do multiple things at once, and really, you know, you, the creative outlet is really down to what your vision is. So like, do you think the industry is um, beneficial in that sense? Yeah, I think so. I think you know, and again, the more research I did and and, ref- and reflecting on different personalities that have kind of come in and out of my life over the years. You know, people with high-function autism and my business partner, Davey O'Rourke, you know, he would say things like, you know, I'd walk into the venue and go, Davey, why is that fan, you know, at the back of the room, why is it turned off? You know, or why is that light kind of, why the light's not at the exact? And he would say, Sam, you know, 99% of people that walk into this venue wouldn't even notice that. But that, 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 that little attention to detail... Um, and it would set me off. I, it would set me into a spin. I just, for me, I just couldn't get my head around why, why you know that's been missed or why they haven't understood that that's super important. Um, you know, whether it's important or not is 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 you know up, up for debate. But for for my for me, and that's probably why it's made me so successful. Those those little things, you know, that they're, they're to, to me that it it, it it it's everything. It's the guest experience. It's it's um, you know, it's like if I, again, my Davey, my business partner is a chef. Um, you know, I walk into the kitchen, and you know, if the gnocchi is not, you know, that beautiful, fluffy, pillowy kind of gnocchi that that one would expect to get, if it's if it's not that exact, you know, I, I I'll throw away, you know, fifteen trays of gnocchi, and he'll just look at me like, what what are you doing? And it's like, well, it's you know that just it just for, for me it's probably for him it's like it, it's it's more than it's more than serveable it's it's delicious but for me it's like no that that's not the product that we you know and he just he, he's just never you know he doesn't understand it and, and 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 I probably don't understand him but in that 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 that's high function autism it's just those little things um, that that up, add up to the big things. Well, um, you've made the most extraordinary impact on the culinary landscape of Cairns and you're continuing to do so. What do you love about what you do? Oh, what I love about what I do is, is you know, the, the challenges every day. I mean, every day is different. Um, you know, walking to the restaurant and, and, and you know, the customers and, and the interactions that we have with the customers. And, you know, I've always built my restaurants in, in communities or neighbourhoods. I've, I've always steered away from the city. I think, um, and, and that's per, on purpose because, you know, when, when tourists, I think tourists, it's, it's a different, it's a different interaction that you have with them, you know, from a service aspect where when you're in a community and it's a community-based restaurant, those interactions with the locals, those guys are going to visit you every day, you know, sometimes multiple times a day, you know, it's a really special connection that you get to, you get to gain with these people and um, it's something that I, that, that you know, I really enjoy, and I enjoy coming coming down and, and, and having those experiences. Well, Sam, it's an absolute honour to have you today on Deep in the Weeds to hear a part of your story, and look forward to hearing much more of it in the years to come. Um, please keep in touch, and we'll catch up again soon. Fantastic, thanks. I can appreciate it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>